Welcome back to Battling with Business, the influencers uh, episode on Charles de Gaulle. And actually, is this the influencers episode on Charles de Gaulle? Because I think when we left last time, we'd introduced a new name, Henri Giraud, who was part of the story. So where, where do we yeah. get to? So uh, just to recap, Charles de Gaulle is a professional soldier, joined the army just before the First World War, proved himself to be a, a courageous uh, and good tactical soldier, was injured a few times, captured, tried to escape, won many prestigious honours and awards as a result. In the interwar years, uh, continued to serve and continued to sort of explore these ideas around new ways of warfare. Middling sort of career, doing okay, but is starting to or was starting to piss some people off. Yeah. A sort of Marmite character, I think you described him as. So has probably started to reach the limit of, of his career. He's not he's not destined for greatness. And then and then Germany happens. Then Germany happens. And he's proved right in terms of uh, the Maginot line and the doctrinaire approach to French defence being strategically the wrong approach. He leaves France because of the armistice with the Germans. He is resolutely against that and effectively uses that as the moment to, to make his stand that he is the the leader of free France. La France a perdu un bataille, mais la France n'est pas perdu la guerre. Quite. Is that good? Yeah, yeah, that's very good, good. That's yeah. quite good yeah. He is the man to lead the French resistance against the occupation of and, France by the Germans. And then we segue to uh, no, Operation we, Torch in Operation North Africa. Torch, so yeah. He's, out, he's in London. He is... The British have decided this Hooray! is our man. This he's the British our, man. This is our man for leading France. But the Americans, for, for reasons we won't get into and repeat again, listen to the previous episode, but they've settled on Giraud, who arguably is probably a more likely candidate. Well, he has, he has the... Vichy government, so he's he is, in France. He's connected to France, so absolutely. He's, he's part of the, the, the government. He's um, a senior general, more experienced. He's actually in France, able to uh, engage. The Americans have an ambassador with the Vichy yeah. uh, in Paris. And the Americans say to Giraud, we are going to invade North Africa and we want you to lead the Free French Forces. And Giraud yeah. says... I want to lead all the forces. And the Americans are... Oh. Yeah. And then equally, yeah. over in London, de Gaulle hears about the invasion. And when uh, he hears these words, he says, very well, I hope the Vichyites throw them back into the sea. So yeah. at the moment, both the French and the British are thinking we've got some real winners here. Yes. Neither of which wants us to succeed. Absolutely. And so, yeah. so now we're in this really awkward situation. We've got de Gaulle, Giraud, sponsored by different governments. And um, I'm going to describe this very poorly. I'm sure this happens in a slightly more connected way. But the US announced Giraud as commander of all French forces under another man called Darlin, who had been in charge of French forces in North Africa. So he was a Vichyite. Right. In fact, there's a longer thing where they say, Darlin sort of says, well, if you put me in charge... This will be seamless. He's still on the, the, the trap that the an American general has to sneak into North Africa for the meeting with. I 
believe so. Yeah. This is Mark Clark coming Mark ashore Clark, on a it. submarine. Yeah. But it, we, it, it all gets a bit, you can tell it all gets so we, a bit. We talked at the end of last week's episode about the fact that Giraud, as a general, had memorised memorised in his head the map of the yep. town he was captured in. He built a 150-foot escape rope. He'd, you know, the, these incredible feats. And, and I was sort of going, I'm not sure I could imagine some of today's current generals that I know being able to do such things. Yeah, again, Mark Clark is a US general. He's in effectively a submarine, a, clambering a... Yeah, yeah. a clandestine yeah. amphibious landing from, from a submarine onto a beach. And to go and meet up with a, uh, a VC French general. It's, it's quite, they're incredible stories. They're incredible stories. So, but you, you, you now sort of, we, we've talked about it almost with a little bit of amusement through the lens of the British and the American governments. Now let's look at it through the lens of Giraud and de Gaulle. They understand very well this is a competition for who will be in power. They yeah. recognise this, the, this is the gift that will give them potentially the leadership of France. So um, Darlan, who by all accounts is not a very nice person and who was certainly taking advantage of the fact that, well, you know, I'm going to switch sides very quickly. Darlan is assassinated. Right. Um, actually, there's a lot more that goes on there, but Darlan is assassinated. And so now Giraud is made the uh, leader of all the French forces, the military leader of all the French forces but at the same time, de Gaulle is now made the political leader. So you can see this sort of little trend of, well, you're in charge of the military, but politically you're in charge. So again, we've, we've, we've still got this sort of, what are you going to do, de Gaulle? Yeah. How are you going to play this one? And so um, they are made, you, just, you just love this, there must have been lots of eye rolling. They are made co-presidents... Anything with the word co in, you know you're not doing well. Co-presence of the French Committee of National Liberation and Free French Forces. So th- th- effectively they've been put on a level playing yeah. field here, but that's not going to work for de Gaulle. No. So Giraud now goes to the US in July on a, on a useless trip. And, and de Gaulle is watching this and is quietly preparing now to, to sort of take charge. And Giraud starts to make a fool of himself. And unbelievably, while in uh, Detroit, makes a speech, arguably praising the Nazi achievements in Germany. Wow. <laughs> Unbelievable. There's this sort of element of, well, you know, I'm French, I can say what I like. You know, I'm your hero. You've already told me how great I am. And there was this huge thing where they had to really tell Juro how great he was. But at this point, you can see de Gaulle is quietly saying, this is, I'm not going to be doing that. No. I'm, I'm going to let you fail. I'm going he's, to... He's playing the strategic long-term okay, game. Was Juro actually a, a sympathiser of the Nazis? No, he wasn't. This, I think was he, he playing some sort of tactical... No, I think just from from memory, I think it was a lack of understanding of the nuances, which is 
I think he was arguing there are some things about the Nazis that were very efficient. They, you know, they brought Germany prosperity and they brought them, look how they've done. And the answer is no. Yeah, you okay. don't understand. The Nazis... So he, he's not a Nazi sympathiser. No, but I he's, think he's... He's just fumbling. At... I, I think he's naive. naive I don't think yeah. he has okay. the political savviness that de Gaulle has. And de Gaulle understands what he has to do. Yeah. And then the, the last piece of this is the Allies find out that Giraud is maintaining his own intelligence network. At that point, this is the excuse to say, you are no longer the commander-in-chief of French forces. And at this point, yeah. de Gaulle has won. Yeah. Now, I've made out that it was sort of these external factors. I am pretty sure that de Gaulle was doing everything he had to to make sure he wins. Yeah, I was just thinking, like, the running your own intelligence network being the final straw, it's probably it's not, not, inconceivable. The final it's not inconceivable that de Gaulle is also running his own... I'm sure de Gaulle. And, you know, I am it's, sure. But it's probably a, a neat and useful excuse to... And and this is where our sliding door closes. It was it was at the beginning of this episode, ten minutes ago or whatever we've done. It was neck and neck who was going to be leading France, and now all of a sudden, not only has he been forced to step down from his commander in chief of the French armed forces, but Giraud is offered the post of you'll like this, the Inspector General of the Army. At which point he says, "Yeah, I'm going to retire now," and so he retires and he's done. So. This is, I, I thought this was such an interesting story that we've never, I'd never heard before, where actually it turns out that de Gaulle, through, through his force of personality and his understanding how to play the game internally, yeah. actually managed to then, as it was, win the day. Yeah. And that is why we talk about de Gaulle being the head of the French, free French forces, which is, as we've just described, was not true until the end of 1942. Yeah. He was the yeah. co. No, it's fascinating. And, and I think we're, we're coming back to this, this idea of, you know, Giraud's exploits in, as, a, as a prisoner of war and, you know, up until that point has, has shown real talent and real resolve and... But where he's fallen over is, you know, as soon as it becomes about the the messaging, and and so I think I'm starting to get the the impression, and of course there's multiple sides to every story, but I'm starting to get the impression that the reason Charles de Gaulle wins out is yes, there's luck in there, there's but it's not accidental. But but it's, it's not. But accidental. It's, he is the complete package. I think so, so. He's a war hero. He's a tactician. He understands understands uh you know, strategic thinking he's a communicator he knows how to read a room you know the, yeah. the communication bit i think this is a man who is influencing people from a long distance I think it's important yeah okay so we've we've now reached the point where de gaulle realizes his future is with the allies and so therefore he must do everything he can to support the allies as they defeat the germans of course, I'm only joking. That is, of course, not what he does. So, the, remember, the Americans hadn't supported him yeah. and are very nervous. And the US particularly found de Gaulle's tendency to view everything through a French lens as, I think, this was described as quite annoying, but I think it's more. Yeah. Roosevelt, who refused to recognise any provisional authority in France until an election has been held. Remember, this is what we'd said before, yeah. which was... Yeah. We can't just say he's our guy, he runs France, because notionally this this war is about democracy. Yeah. 
And um, Roosevelt referred to de Gaulle as an apprentice dictator. Right. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. This is the man who we're going to is yeah. going to run France, and he's already being described as an apprentice dictator. Roosevelt directed Churchill not to provide de Gaulle with strategic details of the invasion of France because he didn't trust him to keep the information to himself. Yeah, I mean that's incredible, isn't it? That there's a man who is. On one hand, I've just said, you know, he's the complete package. He's a communicator, he's a thinker, he's a strategist and a tactician, he's a war hero. And an idiot. And, and on the other hand, he's a Marmite character. He, you know, comes across very arrogant and entitled. He, you know, described as a, as a, as a dictator by I bet the he, president if, of if the US. If he was here, I bet he would mutter the words destiny. He seems like a man who must have done. So, okay, yeah. so we're now coming up to D-Day. It's it's the night before the invasion. Yeah. De Gaulle has not been told about the invasion, for yep. what we've just said. De, the night before the invasion, De Gaulle is arguing about the currency that the Allies intend to use in France. And we've got this script currency. We've got this. Yeah. And he is telling anyone who will listen, this is counterfeit and demeaning to his nation. He was even threatening to withhold French officers who were going to serve as liaisons between the invasion. Can you imagine this? The night before the invasion of France, and he's saying, this stupid money, this is demeaning to France. I may withdraw my people. Unbelievable. (laughs) Unbelievable. So Churchill's plan was to give de Gaulle a script to read over the radio on D-Day, which is Le Jour J in France, in French. Mm -hmm. Uh, The general... I will not do it. Right. Unbelievable. Um, and what, be- was his, what was his reasoning for not doing it? Because it made no mention of him being the legitimate interim ruler of France. Yeah. And it instructed French people to obey allied military authorities. Isn't... I mean, yeah. this, this... I mean, if nothing else, you've got to give de Gaulle the fact that he is consistent. This is not... No one would say, well, I was surprised he said that. No one's surprised. This is exactly what he does. Yeah. So. It, it's fascinating that on one hand, we're, we're sort of trying to work out why this guy is, is great, why he's emerged as, as the, the, the man who's going to lead France. And yet there are some clear... Why didn't he end up in a ditch? Yeah, there are some clear character flaws. And you, you can... Know, what, what, what you could say is, this is passion and resolve for France, and he's, he's clearly got a very, very grounding set of values. Or you could say it's arrogance, naivety, and foolishness. But it's, yeah, well, it, it's both. And, and the fact that he ends up caring about things that, in the grand scale of decisions that need to be made, are not that important at this stage. Now, of course... The currency that France is going to use after liberation. Of course, of course. Yeah, all of that matters. But this is about creating the foothold in northern France, not to free France, but to break into Europe to end Nazi tyranny. This is not the moment to start throwing your teddy go out out the pram. And and I mean, I I talked, I, I sort of casually mentioned in a ditch. If you were leaders in America and the United Kingdom and you felt this man was not 100% behind you, you know what? This man can go away. He is not the leader of France. 
he is someone who at our gift yeah. is funded supported so to this point he is not the leader of france and then it changes so we're now 14th of june 1944 it's eight days after d-day and the french were there were french soldiers at dj yep. d-day um but they the french army in inverted commas had not been landed which by the way was you can imagine made de gaulle very angry yeah. he wanted the french to be there there was a, there was a french commander unit there was um yeah. and i i should remember the the chap's name who led that but he attacked i believe a port area um they did the link up between the paratroopers at pegasus bridge yes and sword beach i, I feel I very bad yeah. but brave frenchmen did yes. but it was a yeah. small unit but it was a very small unit and they were under a british command so we're eight days later De Gaulle lands in Normandy before the French army lands. And what does he do? He goes to Bayeux and he gives his first speech. So no French soldiers have landed. He's in Bayeux. The crowd go wild. This is General de Gaulle. This has now demonstrated he is the legitimate leader of France because now the people are saying de Gaulle, de Gaulle. Yeah. And um, am, am I right in thinking at that speech he declares Bayo to the be very, the capital of France? Yeah, the very small piece of liberated foothold, one hundred percent free France. Correct. And he is in, in charge, which, which leaves sort of Eisenhower, Montgomery, and Bradley in kind of a awkward yeah. position because yeah. he's now a uh, before state leader somewhere he, in their he operational gives a speech line. And before he leaves, De Gaulle appoints François Coulet as Commissioner of the Republic and gives him the task of re-establishing a legally constituted government in France. Brilliant, arrogant. Okay, now, now yeah. all of a sudden it's a fait accompli. So the, the war obviously continues. France is taken. And, and guess what? Now he realises the error of his ways and he says, with the blood that has been spilt on French soil, I will support the Allies. Of course, I'm only joking. So... Paris has now been taken. Yeah. And de Gaulle has a victory parade in Paris because de Gaulle is the saviour of France, obviously. I'm, I'm saying this almost... I can, I can tell I'm getting agitated. Yeah, yeah, as a, yeah. um, among the vehicles that took part in that was an ambulance from the Hadfield Spears Ambulance Unit. And this is a unit that is staffed by French doctors and British nurses. Okay. They're in the victory parade. De Gaulle sees the Union flags and the tricolours side by side and hears the French soldiers are cheering and immediately orders that the unit be closed down and the British staff sent home. Wow. This, this, wow. Yeah. This aggravates the French troops so there who had been part of this so much, yeah. many of them returned their medals in protest and said this is outrageous. So... I'm sure there is a greater context here, but just that pettiness. Yeah. I don't think there's any yeah. other word of, I don't want British flags yeah. to be a part of my victory parade. If if there is any truth in there, and I, I would love to think that this is sort of a story built on a story built on a story, but this, even if it's not true, people who are listening are saying, that sounds like what he would do. So mm. that's very interesting. The war's now ended, and I have to believe that the, the British and American governments are 
pretty frustrated with de Gaulle. Yeah. He is purposely left out of the Yalta conference as, uh, and as Germany negotiates its surrender. They did not want de Gaulle to have all the power. But the elections come and he is elected head of the government and he's already saying we're not having any communists in our government. So now we've got this other power play, which was a, a significant part of the French resistance was made up by communists. Yeah. Don't yeah. care. They are not part of our government yeah. because we do not like communists. Um, and so he doesn't want to compromise. And there's more and more pressure. And in 1946, he says, well, if you don't allow me to do what I need to do, I will resign. And the French people or the French government said, bye. And so after all of that, when you told the story about the him not being happy about Union Jack next to the Tricolor in, in the Victory Parade, you know, everything I've ever read and the French people that I've spoken to about the Allied invasion of Europe, it is part of, certainly now, part of the narrative Absolutely. that it was you know, a combined Allied effort to liberate France, that they are incredibly grateful... grateful. And there is a huge amount of shared history, shared pain. And, and, and we destroyed so, Normandy. I mean, yes. we, we, we never talk about this, but of course, Absolutely. as part of the assaults, we but, literally... But we've never been blamed for that. Exactly. It's understood. Exactly. And, and there's, so I wonder if de Gaulle is, even at that stage, slightly out of step with the French people. Well, I think de Gaulle is in step with France and not the French people. And I separate those two things mm. out. There's the idea of France, and then there are the practical people of France. Yes. So, yes, I think so. We need to take a short break now. We'll be right back. So now let's fast forward to 1958. So de Gaulle has been out of power. He is now an aging general and well done. You did lots of good things. Indochina, so the French, the, the French colonies, which were very important to France yeah. and which he was, everyone was very keen to allow the French to keep. Indochina or Vietnam, as we now think of it, under attack from Ho Chi Minh who wanted independence. Morocco and Tunisia are given their independence. Yeah. But as you mentioned at the very beginning of the first episode, in Algeria, there are 350,000 French troops fighting 150,000 members of the Algerian liberation movement. So this is a massive, terrible, terrible uh, battle against, yes. uh, you know, a battle for independence or against yep. insurgency. And, and I think What's different about Algeria and my knowledge of the French system and, and the, the history is not, it's quite fuzzy here, but what I think is different is Algeria is part of France rather than, rather than an overseas colony. It's, it's seen as an extension of France. It's not a country that, we, that the French have subjugated. It is French soil. 
in the mind of the French, and of course in the mind of the Algerians, it certainly is. Absolutely. Now, you can imagine the French thinking that somehow we might lose a part of France. Who might be the person who has never wavered, who has never, never given an inch when it comes to France? There's only one person. Um, but I, I, even when I read this, and I, I'm getting the hang of de Gaulle now as I'm reading this, even I'm stunned about this. Yeah. There is discussion of civil war. Yes. Not only is there discussion of civil war, people are starting to create plans of landing paratroops in yes. Paris yeah. to take over the government yeah, so I think and the, return de Gaulle to power. The, yeah. The, the French Foreign Legion and the French Parachute Correct. Brigade are... Loyal, loyal, loyal to, to France, and this idea of Algeria being part of France, uh, and yeah, I, I, I don't know how close it got. Just, just think about that. That's a coup d'état. Two, two para, Paris. two yeah. para say we think Boris Johnson has done a great job. If they don't sort it out and get him back, we're gonna get in our trucks yeah. or parachute over in. Unbelievable. Yeah, and this is 1958. This is 1958. Yeah. And so... On I, the... I think that, that also says something about... The man. A, the man, but also the status of France. Only, you know, it, it's only just over a decade since the end of the German occupation. We've already discussed or sort of alluded to the, the fact that the communists were quite a big influential power in French politics and had been sidelined. You know, arguably one of the reasons that the Maginot Line and, and France fell was the misalignment of the strategy, but also the absolute incompetence of French government at the time yeah. because it was so... Slow to make decisions. Slow to make decisions, so partisan. There's so many different fighting uh, sort of factions of government. So... I think it says something about the immaturity of French governance at that time, which perhaps isn't the case in the UK. I think that's well said. I I do think that's well said. So 29th of May 1958, uh, French politicians come together and agree on calling on de Gaulle to take over the government as prime minister. He's back. The army now supports de Gaulle. And, And I guess this is the reason why I thought he was such an interesting influence, which is... Good or bad, and honestly, we've got 50% good, 50% bad in these different ways. What an amazing man to shape and drive this. I don't know how he did it. As we say, was it luck or something else? But that was amazing. So he's now in charge, and he terminates the Fourth Republic of France. So this is sort of historic. He says, Fourth Republic is dead. We are going to draw up a constitution proclaiming the French Fifth Republic. Who is going to write this constitution? Charles de Gaulle. Charles de Gaulle <laughs> writes the constitution wow, of yeah. France. I mean, I'm sure he didn't physically type on the typewriter, but it was guided yeah. by his political ideas. 1st of June 1958, de Gaulle becomes prime minister and given emergency powers, emergency powers for six months, fulfilling his desire for parliamentary legitimacy. On 21st of December... He is elected president of France. And on the 23rd of November, 1959, in a speech in Strasbourg, he announces his vision for France. Oui, c'est l'Europe. Depuis l'Atlantique jusqu'à l'Oral, c'est toute l'Europe. 
qui décidera du destin du monde. Okay, now let's do the English version as opposed to the French people cringing hearing this. <laughs> oh, I think jo John will be listening and be going, no, that's terrible. So this is the English translation. Yes, it is Europe from the Atlantic to the Urals. It is the whole of Europe that will decide the destiny of the world. And amongst all this madness, here is a man who says... Europe will decide yeah. the destiny. Not, not France. Not France. Europe. Um, back in Algeria, he helps the colony achieve independence. So that's, I mean, there's probably a podcast there about what happened and how he did that. The, the bit that I thought was, was again, it's an, just another one of these little ingredients. But isn't that fascinating that there is almost a coup d'etat in France... Because? Because of the insurgency in Algeria and the French government wavering commitment to Algeria being part of French soil. Perhaps he's mellowing in his old age. And yet, yeah. And well, I, so, think, I, think, I think that's realpolitik kicking I think in. it is. I think it's, you know, we can only defend a principle for so long and then we have to explain the body bags. I, yeah, I, I don't know enough about the, what, the details of what happened or the period of the time, and but... I wonder if that is a, a an almost it's an echoing of the populism you quite often see now, which is where there are people in the world, Donald Trump, for example, where it doesn't matter what they say or do, the followers you know, absolutely agree with agree it. with it. And and I wonder if there's a point where the Gaul is probably the only person who could have gone from, yeah, we know. must defend Algeria, it's French soil to, let's be pragmatic about this. It's, it's possible, know. I don't know. Yeah. So he, um, as part of the uh, Algerian sort of piece, he was targeted on a number of occasions by the Organisation Armée Secrète, the OAS, which is the Algerian uh, separatists. There is a... Uh, well, he claimed, or it is claimed, that there were at least 30 assassination attempts that he survived. So now, last piece about him. Again, if his story wasn't enough, now let's just do one final piece. In 1954, de Gaulle argued that France must have its own nuclear arsenal. And you can imagine the British and the Americans, who are busy trying to work out how to manage... Russians and also to yeah. limit nuclear proliferation yeah. are saying no way yeah. are we going to give you nuclear weapon weapons uh, but under de Gaulle France develops its own independent nuclear weapons and um, this was incredibly important from a country's perspective it, it, this is about being players this yes. is about being yeah. part of atomic control we get to say what happens we are also protected on our own yeah and just if you so just sort of slow that down for a second. The ability for de Gaulle to lead France to become a nuclear power is massive. The, the, the work and the cost and the effort that had to be done, that was, I think, perhaps one of his last, for want of a better word, power plays yeah. to say France is a leading country in the world. It is not a, you know, a declining country yeah. or a small country. We will be a nuclear power. But of course, in the way only de Gaulle could do, he doesn't just think becoming a nuclear power is enough. Because you might say, I'm a nuclear power, I'm aligned with the West, 
So that's all we need to say. In November 67, there was an article by the French chief of the general staff, which came from de Gaulle in the Revue de la Défense Nationale, and everyone around the world freaked out. It was stated in this article that the French nuclear force should be, and I quote, capable of firing in all directions, specifically including America as a potential target. It was intended as a declaration of independence, but can you imagine? Yeah. In 1967, the French leader clearly telegraphing, I want to make it clear, I potentially see you as much of an enemy as anyone else in the world. Wow. Um, yeah. uh, now, this was, to be fair, in retaliation to a warning uh, issued uh, by Dean Rusk that US missiles would be aimed at France if it attempted to employ atomic weapons outside an agreed plan. So to be fair, I have to be slightly balanced yes, on this one. Yeah. But still, what an amazing statement that says we will we will we have to have missiles that yeah. fire west as well as east. So the impression and the the, the the legacy has he has left in France. We were talking about this before we recorded this, which is notionally, if you want to talk about British policy today, yes, you can go back to Churchill. And there are many things that Churchill said that we still believe in. But I don't think you could argue today the government of the day is holding dear the beliefs and ideas of Churchill. I mean, yeah. particularly, I mean, the, you know, the, the uh, court, European Court of Human Rights was a Winston Churchill, a British thing. Yes. And now yeah. we're arguing in the press about we should keep it. I would argue, though, France can literally directly trace its roots back to de Gaulle and what de Gaulle believed. And still today, we are seeing the policies and ideas practiced in France. And that, going all the way back to my sort of facetious rhetorical question, who is the greatest leader in Europe? Who has left the longest, greatest legacy? Yeah. Is it Winston Churchill? Is it de Gaulle? I don't know. And, you know, that in, we don't need to answer that. But certainly... Yeah. But, it's a, yeah, it's a really interesting point. And I think you know, we, we as British, as British people, we lionise Churchill, we revere him, we sort of talk about this you know, magnificent character and, and everything that he did. And, and I, I think there are... And, there, of course, there are discussions about the things that he did badly. And, of and, course. You know, yeah. Again, we may do Churchill in a, in a later episode. But yeah, it's, everything Churchill did, he did within the tools of statecraft that were available to him. It, it seems that de Gaulle... He made up the it, rules. Did it outside of a he framework. Made up his he angles. made up the rules. And, and part of that is he's literally in exile whilst his country is being dismantled and destroyed by a collaboration of... German occupiers and uh, and VC French, and then part of it is him taking over, and in both his stints uh, as president of France, he's taking over what what is you know quite a an immature in terms of framework of mm. government nation, but a very mature sense of what France is. You know, France is a 
a nation that's history is rich and and goes back a long way and there is a very very solid foundation of what being french is but the government the structure of government i think was was more fragile and he perhaps had more room to, to yeah to develop than, than churchill but, but i think on the surface you know, there is a strong argument to say more influential in the longer term and and by the way anyone wanting to get angry that we're saying he's more or less influential we don't want to get into that but just it it there's so much in there and and, and frankly you you can tell i did a little bit of reading to try and understand yeah. this i am no i am no more clear about who this man was and whether he was good or bad lucky or otherwise I, I, he's in a sense he's a mystery i would yeah. i, I realize now almost if you said who would you rather have come to dinner i'd quite like de gaulle because i kind of think i know what churchill would say yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. but i don't know what de gaulle would say yeah. so here, here were my conclusions and well, it, you, you can tell we, there's a bit of there's a bit of sort of confusion there was he lucky he could have been a footnote and Giraud could have been the leader was he petty? He was arguing about currency on the eve of D-Day. He didn't allow British or US troops the victory parade. He was brave. He charged at machine guns and reconnaissance missions into no man's land when he didn't need to. People want to follow brave people. Impetuous. He didn't waste any time. He landed in England and he was on the BBC a day later. He went to Bayeux before his troops had landed and said, yeah, this is France. France. Surrounded by politics, he mixed with the right people. Um, he was charming as well, but also he was not charming. He was incredibly rude. One thing I think is clear is a love of France with a mission to protect his beloved France. You've got to have something you believe in. Yeah. That, that as a leader, if you don't truly believe in something, we've seen recently in history, leaders who don't believe in anything other than them being in power. Yeah, yeah, this yeah. is a man you you can trace an arrow straight through everything he does, which is good or bad. This is for the greater glory of yeah, France. Yeah. Single-minded, doesn't listen to other people. Confident, arrogant. The youngest newest general in France becoming the de facto leader of France because he said so. Pragmatic. He wrote his own history. I didn't talk about the fact he wrote his own books. And the last thing as well, which may be, here's the last thought for everyone, which is, why don't we talk about de Gaulle more? Is because he's French. Yeah. How many people in business or our teams do we not talk about because they're not in our club, on our team, and therefore we only think about the people on our team? So there you go. That was, I know that went way longer than we'd imagined to do, but I just thought it was such a really interesting story with frankly more questions at the end than answers yeah and i think once again we've we've got to a point where you know, there are clear clear traits that mark him out as exceptional and then there are traits from which you would put down as not very helpful there are elements of brilliance and then there are elements of sort of arrogance and with all of these things, the context from which the problem set that they are leading, the the time, the history, the politics, you know, it's context-driven. And I don't think there is you know, such a thing as the trait theory of, of leadership. Um, I, well, I, it exists, but I don't believe it. And, and de Gaulle is one of those complex characters. But, 
But I do think you, know, you see flashes of brilliance right from the start. Yeah. And so I think whilst it would be very, very easy, and there are probably many people who were you know, as esoteric, as interesting, as courageous, but never amounted to much, so there is a survivor bias. There is definitely a commonality with all the people that we sort of discussed where there are, there are clear traits that do exist that are fundamental to that journey. And de Gaulle's a, a fascinating character with both you know, very, very good and very, very bad characteristics. Kind of, kind of similar to when we talked about Steve Jobs. Yeah. And I think you know, there's, there's a part of it where it's not about, you know, how do I emulate Charles de Gaulle if you ever want to, you know, become the leader of your country. I don't know what circumstance that would be, but team task individual, you, you hit upon the point that he has clear values, a clear mission all the way through. And it's, it's France above all else. So, you know, it's putting that, mission at the very heart of everything and, and as you said you know, leaders who don't have clear values end up being too pragmatic they end up compromising on everything and not really not really achieving anything and I, I think I said it in a previous episode there's that quote about you know if you don't have a if you don't have a destination a port uh, from which you want to sail to you know you just get buffeted by the winds of change so I suspect some of the achievements that de Gaulle managed to have were as a result of being dead focused on not what he was going to do, but why he was doing it. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, for one, will raise a glass of Cointreau to de Gaulle tonight. Now, I'm sure there's another more appropriate drink, but Cointreau is the only thing I can think of that's particularly French. I suppose a glass of French wine would probably be better. Absinthe or champagne. Absinthe or champagne. Yeah. Probably all of those. <laughs> okay, well, look, thank you, listeners, for sticking with us on this one. It's the the classic case of we thought we'd talk about this for sort of, sort of under an hour or so, but there's just so much Sounds to talk fair, about yeah. and an exciting story. Please, if anyone says that was absolute nonsense, he didn't do half of those things, we didn't talk about that, please do come back and tell us. But for those of you who are new, who have just found us, please do subscribe to the podcast wherever you find it. Uh, please also leave a review. So we're this year we're in a concerted effort to go find people who wouldn't necessarily have heard of us or found us. So your reviews actually make a huge difference. So please, if you've listened to this episode or any others and you like what you hear, please leave a review. We are available on battlingwithbusiness2s's at gmail.com. Yeah. I didn't actually say we're at battlingwithbiz with a Z or at battlingwithbiz with a Z on, on Twitter. Battlingwithbusiness at gmail.com. Please do let us know what you think. Please let us know if there are any other influences you think we'd enjoy talking about or researching or learning more about. Uh, but for now, thank you very much for joining us. Um, here's to a good 2024. And we promise we'll try and find some more interesting topics, ideas, influences and concepts. Cool. Gareth, what's your thoughts for 2024? Well, first of all, I just want to say thank you, Chris, for, for researching De Gaulle. I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed that. Um, yeah, 2024, I think I want to get out and about a little bit more with the podcast. Oh, yeah. So uh, try and do more 
episodes from other locations uh, and that's going to start with one which will probably come out in the next week or next couple of weeks where we're going to Sandhurst. Very exciting. To the centre of army leadership and recording an episode from there so we will continue to do that but yeah for now thanks for listening and goodbye. Goodbye.